Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, before we get started, we have a lot of stuff to get to. But before we get into all that, let the listeners know uh, what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. I know it seems like almost every episode we tell you guys we got a lot to get to. But ask me this. Do we be lying? I mean, we do got a lot to get to today. And what we do on here is just pretty much go over uh, big news topics. Also, we try to cover things that don't get covered as much in the media and just try to give you a rundown of things. So if you're not a real political person or a person that watches news, you can just come here once a week and we try to give you as much as we can within an hour or so. Uh, question for you, man. Kim Kardashian, did she get, did she really get robbed or is it what some people are saying just a stunt to collect some insurance money or, or get more attention than she already has? Cause I was kind of shocked by some of the conspiracy theories I saw out there. Man, I mean, you know, the lack of empathy from people is is kind of frightening from this standpoint. I I don't know what the situation actually was. I do I do know she was robbed. I, I know that something about being gunpoint, being tied up, and and the like, and about ten million dollars worth of jewelry being stolen. Uh, this to one one thing I will say is let's just take it at face value. I've seen a lot of people who have made some disparaging comments about her being robbed, like oh you know how that's what you get, you show off and. I don't think we should ever get to a point where even if we dislike a person or we think that they're pretentious, that robbing them is, is any type of justice that we should be thinking, oh, yeah, that's cool. Even though she's a, you know, maybe she's a diva, maybe she's a, you know, a conniving person, but she still doesn't deserve to be robbed at gunpoint. And as far as any conspiracy theories regarding the insurance claim, I mean, she's pretty, they're pretty rich. So I'm thinking, okay. What was the jury was the jewelry devalued and, and had it, you know, I mean, like it generally if you have your jewelry insured, it has to be appraised. So it's kind of thing where it's like, what is the what is the real issue? It's not like she did she have some fake jewelry that she got appraised and then it got stolen and she wants to collect real money for it. I don't really think so. I mean, they're pretty wealthy to, to my knowledge. I don't necessarily know. I don't know their books, but I think overall it's just a situation that uh, got a lot of attention because of who it was, Kim Kardashian. And it shows that she doesn't really have a lot of uh friends around you know her, her her persona doesn't have people would love to hate her is what this incident really showed me more than anything regardless of whether that's conspiracy theory or whether or not she um was doing it for insurance money or whether or not she really got robbed it was an inside job all those different things like that people just don't like her and uh that's that's really what i got out of it i was surprised that the damn jewelry box i think was worth more than the ring um and i had to check my first reaction because my initial like the, my initial reaction, I can't remember. I think I kind of like snickered a little bit at it, but I had to catch myself. And I'm one of those people you were talking about. Like, you know, I don't even really hate her like that. I don't know why I had that reaction to her. But when I got on social media, I saw that a lot more people did and they didn't check themselves. They kept it going. So like you say, the lack of empathy, it was a little surprising to me. And I think what makes them hateful also is that well, hate it, not hateful, but hate it. It's a lot of people don't like her husband, Kanye West, as well. So you combine that with her, and I think that's why some people took the light. But I don't think we should be taking the light in that because you don't want anybody to go through that. Uh, but that's enough of our TMZ section of the show. Let's get into some politics.
You are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your host, right, Thank you Frank all for joining us again Byron. on Politically Entertaining. That intro beat, by the way, by DJ Tyke Mike, you got to listen to that on some woofers, man. That, that joint got some knock in it, man. I'm telling you, trust me on that. I was listening to it uh, last week. We ask that you subscribe. We're on iTunes. We're on Podbean. We're on Stitcher Radio. Also, Google Play, you can download podcasts and download the show, Politically Entertaining. Uh, Tony Braxton is still going on her tour after four days in the hospital due to lupus complications. So uh, we're happy to hear that for her. Uh, but one of the first topics we want to touch on, Frank, is every presidential election cycle, there's what's called a September or October surprise. And in 2008, it was the whole financial collapse. In 2012, it was the comments that Mitt Romney made when he didn't know he was being recorded. And now it looks like we have it this time with uh, some comments that Trump made 11 years ago on a tour bus uh, on a set of Days of Our Lives. And it was like months after he married Melania. And the, the, the one phrase that seems to really stick out of everything that he said, because people found issue with, with everything he said from how he's just allowed to do whatever he want with women because he's a star and how he was trying to have sex with this woman who he woman who he knew was married, but he still was trying to have sex with her, went as far as to taking her furniture shopping. But the 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 lightning statement that seems to have everybody up at arms is the whole grab them by the grab grab them by the, the private parts of a woman, uh the P word, if you will, uh that he said. So I wanted to know, you know, what what did you think about these comments? Is this something that people should really be making a big deal? Or as he said, and some others have said that this was just, look, a private conversation between two men. It was nothing more than, quote, locker room banter between two men talking about women. Okay, so that, I mean, that's a very interesting backdrop you painted with the whole locker room conversation. And I'll, 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 I'll leave that as the... As, as, as leave that, I guess paint the picture if that had been the current president, say now. Let's say if he had been <laughs> reported uh, doing that. So what I'm saying is, if he, the current president, two-term president Barack Obama, and let's just say this same audio just came out on him this week, and it was from 11 years ago. The the outrage for him, the GOP would be saying he should he should resign. He's immoral. He should be impeached. This and that. I mean, he's already allowed women into the, you know, men into the women's bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. Now he's, you know, he's, he's not even a good guy. I mean, do you remember the firestorm that Barack Obama had when he had to leave his home church because a Reverend, uh, I believe Jeremiah Wright made a couple of statements that were, could have been deemed controversial. Now, the president didn't make these statements. Now his, his pastor did. And so we all, I go to, we all go to churches where sometimes the pastor can say something a little bit crazy, but that's not necessarily reflecting on how we think. We just, you know, there for the word. Obviously, people know uh, that, but he had to end up leaving the church. So I guess I'm using that as a background to say that we tend to hold presidential candidates to higher standards. So why should we do anything different now? Uh, I just feel like his comments, while if he was just a guy who worked at a regular company, would not be a big deal. But there's certainly a moral from a standpoint of obviously he admitted to going after a married woman um, and he was just married, as you said, months ago. He didn't seem like a man who was focused on his new wife. He kind of was just, you know, talking about his conquests and maybe uh, focusing on some other new ones. I mean, it was kind of not it wasn't it wasn't a good conversation. And, and 
another thing to keep in mind is even though he was 11 years old, Donald Trump is 70 years old, so he was almost 60 when these comments were made. Does anybody think that he's any different? It's not like these comments came out when he was 25. I could see if these comments came out and they were really old, he was a teenager. I think we could let it go. I think the fact that they that, that it happened so recently as far as his age and timeline in his life, it's like you don't change that much between 60 and 70. So I think that... It is. It should be an uproar about somebody who wants to be the president, who's already gone on record as making comments about women. And that's the thing. He said he's just, you know, all the time people have been saying his rhetoric has just been campaign talk. Well, now he got caught on a live mic on a hidden camera. We know how he really feels about women. And I think it matches up completely with everything he's been saying everything, and everybody else has been saying. So he has got nowhere to hide now. He his 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 private conversations totally matches public ones. So now you have to ask yourself if you're a woman voting for Donald Trump, you know he doesn't respect them. What is your what is your answer to that? And and that's very, very interesting as it as it goes forward. Uh, I've even seen things about John Huntsman and other GOP people saying he should jump out of the race and let uh, Mike Pence uh you know run the rest of the ticket, but I don't think that's gonna happen. But it's just it's turned to a big thing and most certainly it should be because presidential candidates are not a 4-H club or a student council president is the leader of the free world and they need to have respect certainly for all men and women if you're going to be in that office yes uh there there are a handful of republicans that are asking him to resign or are no longer supporting him and while i applaud their uh journey to the world of of logical and reasonable thinking finally my thing is this if if this is what makes you step away what what were you waiting on like the, the list of things that, to use Hillary's word, deplorable things that he's done over the last 14 months since he's announced running for president, like this was your breaking point. I mean, I can only applaud that so much. The man has been nothing short of a train wreck and his diarrhea at the mouth has made him more and more popular with his supporters. But to us regular, normal, logical thinkers, we've seen him for what he's worth for months now. So, you know, just you know, welcome to, to reasonable thinking, but I also have to criticize you for what, what took you so long. This guy should not be president at all. He, he should, he should never be, he shouldn't even be this close. And you've made this point before that he's already won in the sense that he's emboldened a lot of these people on the local level to probably say, Hey, <laughs> there's a spot for me in politics. Now I can, I can be just like Trump. He's a hero to, to some of the more despicable people in this country. Uh, but we'll, we'll move on from Trump because he has covered more than enough in the media. So you don't need to hear us go on and on about him, uh, speaking of deplorable things and, and trying to have sex with women. Uh, this isn't so much deplorable, but Ric Flair, who, uh, has definitely referred to his sexual organs as Space Mountain from time to time, has come out and said that Holly Berry has rose Space Mountain before. And of course, Holly Berry has denied that. Uh, that's not a story we're going to cover, but that's just a little news nugget I wanted to throw out there for folks that are interested in that. A story that uh, hasn't gotten a lot of traction, but I read in the Washington Post, Frank, is there's a young woman by the name of Yi Shang and there's a young man by the name of Lang Her. And we've talked about this subject for the last couple of episodes now where men seem to for whatever reason now are having sex with women that are unconscious with the whole Derrick Rose allegation, Nate Parker, even Bill Cosby to an extent, uh, women that are unconscious and men having sex with them, which is rape because you need consent. Uh, Yi Shang, she apparently 
went to Langher's uh, house. These are two individuals that live in Sacramento, California. She went to his house. They had drinks. She wound up uh, passing out, according to her. And she said she woke up and her arms were pinned to her side and Langher was on top of her having uh, sex with her. And where it gets kind of nuanced, Frank, is she allowed this man to drive him home and she took a while to report it, but she wound up reporting it. Uh, the gentleman laying her tried to say that he did not have sex with her, but when they did, I guess the, the rape kit, the rape kit test on her, his semen was in her. So he wound up pl- pleading to like a lesser charge and he did, he was sentenced to one year in prison. Now, during this trial and after the trial, Yang Yishang and her sisters, you know, they went on Facebook and social media, you know, calling him a rapist and saying that, you know, no means no, or you should know what rape is. This, that, another. An interesting twist of this story, he wound up suing her because he was not convicted of rape. Therefore, he felt like he should not be called a rapist. He, Whatever he pled to, it, it, it didn't consider him to be a rapist. He wound up suing her. Uh, now, that lawsuit wound up getting thrown out. But my my question to you is the the nuances of rape now. Like with this story, with with Derrick Rose, like these are men do. I, I, I actually think that they generally believe that they did not rape these women. Like they really feel like that they're not guilty of rape. And it seems like did you ever suspect that rape will become so nuanced to where it's not just a black and white close, close shut issue? Uh, you really have to look at the, the totality of the case. And. My question to you is, is there any blame on the woman whatsoever? Like some people will say in this story, Yishang shouldn't have gone to his house, especially drinking to the point where she passed out if she knew she didn't plan on having sex with her. And women push back hard on that and say, you can't put all the blame on women. Men need to be more responsible, too. So I'm wondering that I'm wondering where where does Frank fall as far as does any blame go on the woman? Should men be smarter about this? Like, I, I just don't know where to begin and end with this, but it's, it's getting out of control with men thinking that it's okay to have sex with passed out women. I mean, I think we've, we discussed it on the previous episode, uh, you know, about, about how we obviously both agree that if a woman is not, a, not awake, she is not consenting. Therefore, you can't do it and, and it would be rape. I think I look at it like this. Um, I mean, we both are fathers of, of daughters. Uh, you know, obviously my daughter is quite a bit younger than yours. And I'm still thinking and imagining all the things I got to tell her in life. Uh, and this is one of the things that I'm going to have to explain to her. And I won't be, uh, you know, mince any words to say, you know, be very careful. You know, don't you can't just go. You got men can be very nefarious and don't, you know, put yourself in that position. I'll, you know, explain it as best I can, obviously, and then she'll have to make whatever decision she makes. But the the thing is, it doesn't make it the woman's fault that it happens. It's just that we women have to be aware of this situation just to protect themselves. That doesn't mean that the man shouldn't be charged with rape. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that men are very much, you know, if, if he's not your husband, I mean, that's why a lot, of, you know, obviously going back, we don't make this a religious class, but a lot of people are saying, hey, that's why you got to be careful with, you know, premarital sex or engaging in those activities outside of it because you don't know who has your best interest at heart. Now, 
obviously there is obviously there, there are cases where a husband i guess can rape a wife as well but that's we're not gonna that's beyond the scope of what we're talking about here but just the idea that you go out with a guy and you're having drinks and you pass out does not mean that you should be raped now what has to be considered is now that the world has kind of turned rape into like you said something so nuanced the woman almost has to look at it like i can't you know I can't even go over, you know, I can, I don't feel comfortable unless she feels completely comfortable with the guy knows him, you know, can she, should she even go over there? You know, what, what are the, what is the recourse she has? Should she wear, wear, you know, a body cam on her at all times? I mean, there are some things that really need to be looked at is how we can prevent this. Cause this is too many times it's happening. And this isn't, this isn't a, this is not a race issue. Cause we've seen Derek Rose, Brock Turner. And now I believe the the couple sounds like, I know the one woman was Asian. I'm guessing the man was Asian also. Is that, true or no yes that's true. okay so there we go so then we, we we have three high profile cases and probably many others where it's a black white and an asian guy all doing things with women they're saying i can say so we have a problem uh with with rape culture and you know we we laugh it off frat, it's, it's, we have too much of a frat boy culture in this world uh where you know, people don't even remember. Remember Sebastian Janikowski? He was accused of date, date, putting date. I mean, he is this a long time ago, and nobody cares, I guess. But Sebastian Janikowski was basically Darren Sharper, who didn't get convicted. Now he wasn't had necessarily had the pattern of, of Sharper, but Ugh. if you go back and look up what Sebastian Janikowski did, he pled to some lesser charge of using date rape drugs with women. So there is a prevalent. This problem's been going on for a long time, and I think that. There's this idea, this, this wink, wink, nod, nod of, of people that have used the system, including Bill Cosby, including guys like uh, the old guy, Hugh Hefner, who there there is this idea of drugging women that goes back very far. You know, we talk about systemic racism, which I believe goes back, you know, and it still exists, obviously. But when you talk about the drugging of women, that is like a systemic, systemic thing as well. You know, because the I believe that Bill Cosby and we've talked about this on the show a long time ago, probably like when we first started is he wasn't the only guy back then doing those things with those pills, getting women. Uh, he might have been one of the more high profile people. But that was a thing that people were doing. And, and I think that we have to address it. I don't know how we're going to fix it, but it needs to be stiffer penalties. Certainly when you're uh, getting accused, you got to go away. And that way people will take it seriously because you look at Derrick Rose. Who knows if he's guilty? We think Brock Turner was guilty, but all these guys look like they're probably going to get off. This one guy went to jail for a year, so you got three high-profile cases of potential rape, and the victims are basically getting beat down, and the men are basically serving, maybe Derrick Rose serves no time, this one guy served a year, Brock Turner served six weeks, so you're talking about uh, less than a year and a half of jail time for three supposed rapes or sexual assaults? Mm. It's a problem. I, I, I love how you said how you're going to um, talk to your daughter when she gets of age. And it's it's not saying that it's her fault, but you, you still want her to be safe and aware. And it's kind of similar to how Aunt B, who we had on the show last last episode, uh, one of the half of the uh, wind down. I like how she has stated how she, you know, teaches her sons because she has, I believe, two sons. And she tells them, look. You know, don't don't participate in in the whole uh, running a train on the girl or or having sex with her while she's passed out. Like, I just think if more mothers like her 
uh, and fathers talk to their sons that way and, and more fathers and mothers talk to their daughters like you plan on doing, that it definitely can help. And you mentioned Darren Sharper, and I just remember hearing people when that case first came out, people were saying, you know, he's an attractive guy. He's rich. That's not true. He wouldn't have to drug any woman to have sex with him. He, he can have sex with whoever he wants. And it's not about that. Like, I think that's still the mentality of a lot of people. But when you're talking about drugging women and, and having them pass out, I think for a lot of men, it's about control. It's not about can they have sex with a woman. They want to have this, you know, complete control over the woman. So it's, it's bigger than that. Uh, but I just got to say, you know, I, I get the whole having drinks with a woman that you're with, you know, loosen yourself up, loosen her up. But she still needs to be an active participant, guys. I, I don't know any other way. I guess I need a bigger platform to put it out there. But she needs to be active. Otherwise, it is right. And and just and trust your boy, man. It, it's better when the woman is active. It, it's better that way. Just trust me on that. Uh Frank, Bill Clinton, man, he, he's become, I think, a liability to uh, Hillary Clinton. We were going to cover him until the whole Trump comments came out. But uh, I just wanted to put that out there real quick. His whole comments on Obamacare and calling it crazy when your wife is pretty much running, you know, an Obama third term platform in her candidacy. They had to come back and walk back those statements. So I'm not sure what's going on with him. We may you know, discuss him more next episode. But a guy who was supposed to be a complete asset to her, he seemed to be more of a liability. And this was even back in 08 with some of the comments he made as well. Uh, but speaking of politics, I did want to get into the, the VP debate last week, man. And I don't have a whole lot to say on it. Governor Pence, Senator Tim Kaine, a lot of people saying that Pence won because of uh, Kaine's style. Here's my thing on this, Frank. I get it. Tim Kaine, Senator Kaine, he was a little aggressive. He did do a little bit too much of the cutting off of Pence. But here's my thing. Some of those same people who are saying that Kaine was disrespectful and he, he interrupted uh, Pence, I think they said 71 times, they applauded Mitt Romney's performance, that first debate between he and Obama, who cut off Obama the entire debate. And he was cutting off a sitting president at the time. But everybody said Romney won that debate at the time. They loved his aggressiveness and how he took charge or whatever. So I just found that funny. I'm consistent. I didn't like when Romney did it. I didn't care for it too much when Kane did it. It was it was messed up is Kane had some great points to make because Pence could not defend many of Trump's positions that Kane was putting out there. Many of the comments that Trump has said that Kane put out there, Pence could not defend them. So I thought he was making some great points, but I did think his style was a bit too abrasive. And my other point was, I think I like them better than both of their uh, both of the top of their tickets. I like Pence better than Trump. I like Kane better than Clinton. And I would make this promise that if Trump were to guarantee that he would resign the day after the inauguration and, and he was held to it by a contract, I would probably vote for his ticket. And if Clinton were to say the same thing, uh, I definitely would vote for her ticket no matter what, because. I think in this rare case, man, both of the vice presidents are better than the presidential candidates we have. And just wanted to get your thoughts on the whole vice president debate. That was their only debate. And I know not a lot of news came out of it, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I mean, I think you made a great point about the interrupting. I don't want to belabor that. Also, Donald Trump's main style of debating is to interrupt people as well. So, 
what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So yes, I agree. While Tim Kane probably should have been more patient because as you said, he had great points and he had points that against Trump that Mike Pence couldn't even make a comment on. He didn't have to interrupt him to even do that, but he did that. And that was fine because, you know, this is the way people are kind of debating. Like this is the kind of way people think debates are won, cutting a guy off and making your point, even though I think, as you said, it's better off if guys finish and then respond and they stay composed. But we live in a world where we want reality TV. And, and in a reality TV sketch, the person who cuts off the person more is the one who kind of wins, right? The one who has the most zingers and frustrates the other person. And that's what Trump does. I mean, does anybody think Trump's not going to cut off Hillary tomorrow? I, I want to see the same commenters, you know, criticize Trump for cr cutting off Clinton tomorrow. So. I mean, to me, debates, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, don't mean anything. I don't think they're going to move uh, the, the needle at all. Uh, they, they really haven't. I mean, the only thing you're, you're going to see is that Trump's been getting in more trouble in between the debates, which may make it more interesting as far as, you know, like you said, the October surprise. But all in all, I do agree that the vice presidential candidates seemed more level-headed than both their presidential counterparts. It's one of those strange times where you wonder how Tim Kaine or Mike Pence, in this case, didn't get the nomination. Obviously, Mike Pence wasn't running, uh, but just, you know, it's just strange. It's a strange time, and, you know, I don't really have anything else to say, but it's just a strange time in politics. Obviously, debate tomorrow night. Uh, we're recording this, you know, before the, the second debate, so we'll see how uh, that goes and, and probably have some feedback on the next episode as well. Now, every once in a while, it, it can make a slight difference. Now, the, the vice president debate rarely makes a difference. I don't think it ever has. But uh, Secretary Clinton, she did enjoy a five point bounce after her first debate. So if she can continue that streak and put some distance between her and Trump and if he continues to, to do the things that he's doing and, and say the things he's saying, uh, she may can probably pull this out. Speaking of Hillary, I do want to make one correction before we talk to Sam. Uh, last week, I said she had six years of political uh, elected office. She actually had eight years. In my defense, I got the six years from the fact that you know she was elected to the Senate. Uh, she started serving in 2001. By 2007, she was running for president, and she didn't become Secretary of State until 2009. So, yes, she was technically eight years in the Senate. But six of those years, she was a senator. Those other two years, she was running for president. But still, a mistake on my part. And I own up to it. Uh, let's talk to Sam Bogan of Entertaining Money. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, he is the founder of Entertaining Money, a company created to advance financial education among all people. You can visit EntertainingMoney.com or follow him on Twitter at EntertainMoney. Sam Bogan, what's going on today, man? Hey, how's it going, y'all? Man, we, we, we cooling, we cooling. Just uh, want to see if we can give the, the listeners some advice as well as me and Frank possibly. Uh, for anybody that's listened to the show, you know, we've hit the whole financial thing pretty hard. We're talking to different entrepreneurs. We talked to Arazio Macarella and several other people on maintaining finances. So that this is a big theme on this show. We're glad to have you, Sam. Uh, the first question I wanted to ask you, uh, you became 
really interested at a young age on wanting to be responsible with your money early off in college. That's usually a time when people are pretty reckless. What about you or, or your life that made you different from the rest and wanted to be responsible at a time when most people, you know, spend money like they don't have to pay it back? Man, that's a great question. And you caught me off guard with it. Uh, man. It, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> no, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Great question. Honestly, Byron, I can remember at a very young age just wanting to have money. And at the time, I didn't understand what that really meant. But for some reason, I just wanted to have money. And I actually thought about the situation a few days ago, and I realized that what I was seeking was financial freedom. But as you can imagine, for a kid who's five years old, who's, uh, you know, five or eight years old, rather, who's hustling, you know, it's not about, well, at that time, you're not aware that it's financial freedom that you're looking for. You just want to have money. And that's really what it was. But... As far as, uh, I guess, separating myself from, uh, I guess, the crowd, you would call it. Well, I came up in the church, man. So, you know, <laughs> that was kind of a factor. But uh, to be frank with you, like, I didn't really get exposed to financial education until college. But even with that being the case, I knew that there were certain behaviors that would, uh, that were, you know, uh, uh, counter to you trying to achieve your goals. Okay. I got you. So yeah, I, I just remember, man, you know, at that age, that's when I got my first credit card. When I first started college, man, I just remember thinking like, they giving me money and I don't have to pay all of it back right away. And that was just like the beginning of my recklessness. But uh, I have since then corrected that. Uh, your latest post to YOLO or not to YOLO, uh, I wanted to ask you, basically in that article you're talking about, the YOLO uh, state of mind is pretty much like like what I kind of mentioned when you're at that younger age, when you're not caring about the future. You're just spending money that you really don't have on something that you don't necessarily need. I wanted to ask you, where do you draw the line as far as, you know, sometimes people like to treat themselves or splurge. So where does someone... Right. Where where can someone draw the line as far as treating themselves and splurging versus having the YOLO mentality? Or, in your opinion, is that not allowed until you had a certain financial status? Man, y'all like really coming with that real right now. With that said, um, <clears throat> let me ask you this. I'll pose this question to you. Okay. So if you knew that a financial storm was coming that was very devastating, how would you play it as far as the management of your money? Oh, yeah, you're going to be very frugal with it, very tight, and, and only spend what's necessary. Okay. Well, I'm hoping, like, further in the conversation, we can get into what's coming down the pipe, and it's ridiculously bad. So... To the individual, I mean, it's on a case-by-case -case basis. It's pretty much like a, a Noah's Ark type of situation to where, hey, you want to build your boat to the size you think is adequate for what's coming. Um, 
So it's pretty much up to their decision and their choice. But for me, it's pretty strict. And a portion of that strictness comes from knowing that if you do, I guess, manage your money a certain way and actually position yourself, you can actually uh, benefit from what's to come and increase your wealth and essentially be out of the game. So that's how I see it. But again, it's, you know, to each his own. Now, Sam, this is Frank. You, I know you mentioned a financial storm looming. That sounds very, very ominous. For the listeners that are uninitiated out there, can you explain not just obviously the coming storm, but what they can do today right now to be prepared for the storm? Because obviously, you know, using the Noah's Ark analogy, once the flood starts happening, it's not start. It's not the time to start building your boat. You want to kind of already have it uh, sealed up and closed up. So what can listeners do to get ready for that storm? Absolutely. So essentially the whole basis of the storm is the fact that in our current monetary system, our dollar or the dollar rather is a currency. And as Robert Kiyosaki wrote in his bestseller, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, the rules of money changed in 1971 when President Richard Nixon took the U.S. dollar off of the gold standard. Now, when I read this years ago, I'll be honest with you guys, I didn't fully understand the totality of that that statement, that the dollar became a currency. But to put it in layman's terms, what happens is the dollar loses value over time. And if you can visualize um, a roller coaster, how it's climbing, and then when you, once you get to that peak, that transitional point, it comes down, you have so much energy built up to where it's just like a very accelerated crash. So that's similar to what happens with currency. So right now it's been um, relatively gradual, you know, um, how can I put it, a weakening of the dollar. But it comes to a point where that weakening is going to tremendously accelerate. And you're talking about price increases that are going to totally wipe people out. A good example is right now the hyperinflation in Venezuela. Um, well, I kind of jumped this too quickly. But right now it's like their currency is imploding. So you're talking about uh, the, the cost of everyday goods and services going through the roof and you know it's uh very chaotic over there but you you mentioned one solution to that frank and um i wanted to get through it i guess skillfully i kind of messed that up though but right now silver one ounce of silver purchases approximately six months worth of food in venezuela so what's happening is with currencies, in the history of mankind, you've had like thousands of currencies where countries just trying to print money for their monetary regimes. But all currencies eventually lose value. And the U.S. dollar is no different. So that's what we're essentially in the midst of right now. The U.S. dollar is losing value. As a matter of fact, since 1913, the U.S. dollar has lost over 96% of its purchasing power. So we got 4% left. So this last 4% is about to be real for people who are unaware and unprepared. And what happens is wealth doesn't get destroyed. It just chases 
value and it chases sound money. So in the example of Venezuela, to point back at that, you see what's happening in Venezuela where that one ounce of silver, which is like a US dollar, right now it's approximately $19 an ounce, is buying you 16, I'm sorry, six months worth of food. I mean, yeah, that's that's really interesting that you say that. So that brings me to my next question, which is you say, okay, silver is now buying me six months of food. That sounds great. Where are places where if, if I choose to invest? Well, this is a two part question. If I choose to invest and I say, you know what, this currency thing seems like it's legit. It seems like the dollar is going to lose value. Um, I want to get some gold. I want to get some silver. Um, two que- two part question, as I said, where do I get it from? And two, how much? do I need to consider getting? Okay. Well, some websites that I always mention are sdbullion.com. That's S-D-B-U-L-L-I-O-N.com. You also have uh, appmex.com, which is A-P-M-E-X.com. And you have goldsilver.com. No hyphens or any type of characters in between, just goldsilver.com. And as far as how much you should uh, acquire, well, it's kind of like this. You know, uh, a leading expert, Jim Rickards, the author of Currency Wars and the Depth of Money, advises 10% of your portfolio to precious metals. Now, the other appropriations are real estate, um, land, fine art, and things of that nature. But my my mentality is this. Let's be real. For most people, the average Joe, you're not going to have access to fine art. You're not going to have access to real estate unless you have a, a large down payment. So with that being the case, yeah, even though it's, it is wise to diversify your portfolio, but at the end of the day, if you know that the dollar is going to lose 50 to 80% of its value within the next few years, and you know that silver and gold are avenues which will not only maintain your wealth, but potentially increase it. For me, it's like this. I'm going into precious metals. It's like if you have a house, you wouldn't insure just 10% of your structure. You wouldn't just get 10% on a living room and everything else is just uh, susceptible, susceptible to, uh, you know, destruction from a, a flood or a hurricane or aliens. So that's how I see it. You mentioned that our currency it, it's, it's made to pretty much lose value over time, and it has been since 1913. Every political cycle, every presidential election, we always hear about what the current debt is, and right now it's at $19.5 trillion. How much of that contributes to the, the devaluing of our dollar, or does it have anything to do with it at all? Man, you asking me a question. Man, y'all coming with it, boy. <laughs> Man, we, we try, brother. We try. <laughs> Man, well, I can tell you this. All right, kind of see it in this light, man. Our whole money regime is a confidence game. So what that means is, if you look at uh uh, instances of hyperinflation. One case that most people always um, reference is Weimar Germany. And in Weimar Germany, in the course of five years, 
a millionaire could go to a pauper. I'm sorry, a millionaire did go to a pauper within a five-year window. And when you look at the charts, we're just at the beginning stages of uh, increased inflation slash a hyperinflationary situation. So with that 19 trillion, you're talking another 127 trillion in unfunded liabilities. That's like your Medicare, your Medicaid, Social Security, student loans, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, et cetera. So you're talking approximately, what's that? Uh, I'm not that good with numbers, I'm it up top of my head. But at any rate, that level of debt is unsustainable because you don't have you don't have the uh, ability to pay off the interest and to keep the debt game going. There has to be more debt in the system, so you can imagine a doubling of that debt. So at that point, the whole system becomes wobbly, and they call it the end game. So you have two ways of getting out of it. One, the government can say, "Hey, man, look." All right, we know we have these bonds, we owe you money, but guess what? We can't pay it. So we have to default. The other way is to say, hey, we'll pay you back, but we're going to print so much money to where the value of that money, now remember we have 4% left. So the value of that money is essentially worthless. So here again, you're like a situation where Venezuela, where you're getting a dozen eggs for 600 bucks. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So they're going to increase the currency supply to pay off that debt. But in the end, the taxpayer eats it because their purchasing power is effectively destroyed altogether. So it's a very grimy game, but it's a game that we in and it's responsibility of each individual to prepare themselves and to uh, educate themselves and, and get to a position to win. That's why we have brothers like you. Again, visit uh, entertainingmoney.com. Uh, I want to get you out of here with this final question. Uh, it's kind of a, I know you say you've been coming with the question, so it's kind of loaded. But uh, you, you, you smart. You can, you can handle it. Um, right now, 66 million uh, Americans have zero dollars in their savings account. No money whatsoever in their savings account. Uh, it's said that you should have at least six months emergency worth of savings. Only 28% of Americans actually have that. For those 66 million Americans that have no money and for the other millions that barely have, you know, maybe a thousand dollars or so in their savings account mm -hmm. and they're listening to this show, the next move for them, should it be to, to save the next dollar they get or should they invest it? I guess what I'm asking is which which is more mm -hmm. important because because we're talking about how the currency is losing money. So when, when one might think that it's more important to invest that money versus saving it, or should they try to do both at the same time, or is there like a, a hierarchy on which they should do first as far as investing and saving? Oh man, man, that's a great question, bro. That's a that's a great question, and uh, really you uh, identify the answers in your question. Number one, if you save it, as Robert Kiyosaki says, since 1971, savers are losers. And it took me a while to break down what that statement meant. I mean, he's not saying that you're a loser because, you know, you're not an investor. He's saying that you literally lose because you lose the purchasing power and the value 
of your dollars. So to save essentially is to lose. So if you have, uh, let's say, $1,000 and uh, over the next few years, you take a hit of 80%. Well, your mentality at the time was that, okay, you're in uh, a difficult financial position at this time, but when the hyperinflationary event actually occurs, you're going to be worse off. And honestly, you're going to be uh, a debt slave because it's like the whole dynamic of our international economy is changing. It's almost like with this, with this uh, epochal shift, people really can't accumulate wealth and earn a living anymore because it's all, you know, situated at the top. That's how, really, that's how grimy the game is. It's like the haves are going to ensure that they have and the have not are just going to be SOL. So with that being said, <clears throat> I'm like this. Robert Kiyosaki always talks about financial education is basically knowing how to use good debt versus bad debt. Bad debt is debt that essentially you have to service yourself. So say, for instance, um, like you mentioned, your credit card in college, like say, you know, if it was shoes or let's say clothing, well, you got the clothes, you got the shoes, but essentially in time, you have to pay that off. An example of good debt is, let's say, a rental property where you did your due diligence and you see that the property will cash flow, your monthly payment for the property is, let's say, 500, but the rent you're getting is $1,000. So you're pocketing 500 a month off of that debt that you've taken on. As a matter of fact, it's like the renter actually pays your profit and for the debt service of the loan. So that's good debt. So I mentioned that to talk about silver or gold, precious metals, period. So right now, if you're talking an acquisition of precious metals, silver's at 20 bucks an ounce. If you went crazy and, you know, on your credit card, accumulated, let's say a grand or 2,000, what you have to look at is, number one, it's going to protect value, but also, potentially is going to increase value. And let's be honest, man, you just made money out of thin air. It's like you're using the system to profit and profit wisely. And that's what the rich do. They take advantage of how, of how, of, of understanding how to play the system. Well, we're being taught to, you know, uh, work hard for a living at a nine to five or you're being underpaid. And then with the entire monetary system in the end, we're at a point where it's like we're at a historical shift where we're about to get straight just lamb blasted, you know, just this this blindsided from something we don't even know about. So that's how I see it. You want to use debt wisely in a way that you can service it. I'm not saying like jump off the deep end to where, you know, uh you're you're suffering and things of that nature, but if it's a, a very small monthly payment, which is not, you know, difficult for you, then by all means, I definitely, I mean, I would definitely do it.
Damn, Sam, I was gonna buy those new Space Jam J's uh, this year, man. Coming out in December, you don't, don't, don't do, it. don't do it, man. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. I don't, man. <laughs> don't do it, man. Don't do it. I tell you what, if you, if you get the silver right now, man, you get the silver right now. The right, space ain't gonna be a problem, bro. They ain't gonna be a problem. I guarantee it, man. That's what's up, man. They black and blue, too. Uh, we're talking to Sam. Oh, man. Go, go, go with the shiny silver, man. <laughs> we're talking to Sam Bogan of Entertaining Money. You can visit his website again, entertainingmoney.com. He has posts, podcasts, different videos that give you helpful tips on there. You can also follow him on Twitter at Entertain Money. That's slightly different from the website. Website is entertaining.money. Follow him on Twitter at Entertain Money. Sam, man, we really want to appreciate you coming on today, man. Thank you, man. Hey, guys. I, I really, really appreciate the opportunity. It was fun. I wish we could have uh, talked about more. I was ready to go, man. Hey, that time passed. Well, we can do it again man. sometime soon. Definitely, Definitely man. Definitely. have you back on. Appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, I thank y'all so much for the opportunity. want to thank Sam for coming on Politically Entertaining once again. Um... He talked about, I, I do want to acknowledge that uh, there are some people I am aware, if you listen to the interview and, and you were like, wait a minute, that's not true. I don't agree with that. Me and Frank, we are aware that there are different you know, opinions when it comes to different topics, fin- this one being uh, finances. I'm aware that you know, gold-backed currency hasn't been relevant in the last century. Uh, some people suggest that it should only be a small part of your portfolio. And some people even go as far as to say we will never go back to gold currency or silver ever. But there are many conservatives that agree with Sam. So we wanted to have him on. And Frank and I, we reference all the time on how you should go back and listen to past episodes. We've talked to Trevi and Mathis. We've talked to Terry Matthews. We've talked to Orazio Macarella, Eric Newman, all who had some contribution to the financial industry and how to, you know, gain wealth, maintain wealth maintain your finances so i invite you to listen to all those interviews or past episodes contact all of those guests that we've had on and make your own decision we we try to have a a varying opinion on the show uh but i did want to ask what stood out in the interview to you frank because for me the whole savings are for losers i thought was very interesting uh it was a different take i like different uh so what stood out for you man you know i thought it was i thought it was great just the overall candor that he spoke about the the money and the situation that's going to happen in this country i think that it it is a tough subject to tell people that the money you're earning is not going to be worth what you think it is you know years from now or when you retire but it's a reality that uh you have to consider and like we said we're never trying to tell people uh, you know exactly what to do but i will say this diversification is key uh there's nothing wrong with having different investments because the thing is, you don't know what's going to happen. This is a strange world where Donald Trump is. If you need to know anything can happen, Donald Trump is one step away from the White House. So you have to consider uh, what's going on. You know, do your own research. Don't just take it from, you know, one website or one podcast, but start. You know, our, our job is to open up your mind to a conversation of are you missing the point? Because the thing is. When these type of movements happen, the the rest of the world doesn't know about it because the the, the wealthy elitists are the ones who are going to profit from it. They don't want everybody else to know about it. So chances are, you know, this stuff isn't widespread because they don't want everybody to be protected. You know, they want, you know, in, in the case of a doomsday scenario, 
if you were the ha- you want you want to be one of the haves, you don't want to tell all people who are have nots, right? So I just think it's it's an interesting thing. It's a great uh, topic, and as you said, go back listen to other episodes and make up your own mind how you want to diversify your your portfolio, diversify your wealth management because it's definitely something you need to do if you're not if, if, if you listen to our shows and you haven't done anything if you don't have life insurance you don't have any savings uh you don't have you know those different things you don't have good credit you've got problems you need to tighten up in those areas those are those are real things to look at so just take it one step at a time and just you know every day make sure that you're on top of things as much as you can be entertainingmoney.com is the website again and again thank thank uh sam bogan for coming on frank our favorite president rodrigo duarte is back in the news again man he made some recent comments about obama told him to go to hell this time uh if you don't remember who duarte is he's uh the president of the philippines uh, a few weeks ago he uh called oh he said some derogatory things about obama's deceased mother and called Obama a son of a bee. Uh, so he has, he's definitely colorful. He also has been executing drug dealers and drug addicts. He's up to 3,500 in just his first six months as president. However, he has a very, very high approval rating right now. That could be because people don't want to get killed by him, but he has a 78% approval rating. Uh, but he's doing a little bit more than talking this time, Frank. In addition to telling Obama to go to hell, he has threatened to turn his back on the U.S. He has asked our troops to leave, and he said he's going to embrace China or Russia. And, you know, he ordered our troops to leave. We had a 1951 defense treaty that allowed for us to have 28 joint exercises with their military a year. And he's calling an end to that. And the reason, Frank, is he's accused the United States of making the Philippines dependent on them. So sort of like, a, you know, what conservatives say about uh, welfare recipients. And he's sick of that. And he said the United States has been treating the Philippines like a doormat. No more. Not on his watch. So he wants to cut off ties with us. He no lo- he, he's even bold enough to say he no longer wants our aid. And uh, he's going to ask for the Congress an extra 50 to 100 million dollars to fill in the gap that he would no longer be getting from America. And. My my question to you is, you know, your thoughts on him and could there be other countries that feel this way and they see him doing this? Because, you know, we, we give out a lot of foreign aid around the world and, you know, we have military troops all over the world. Could this embolden some other countries who are maybe feeling this way but never thought that they could be bold enough to, you know, actually follow through with, with, with their thoughts? Could there be some other countries that, uh, you know, will come out? After seeing him do this. Sure. I think it's the same effect as the 9-11 bill. As soon as we start trying to sue Saudi Arabia, there's people try to sue us. I think that there, the United States is, is looked at, as we talked about in a previous episode, as kind of bullies in some regards. Uh, you know, we impose our will through aid, you know, air quotes, and we have our military set up there. We say, hey, we'll give you money, but we need to kind of have a presence there. And it's all strategic. And it's one of those kind of things where... You know, the money we have, the power of the dollar, uh, which which is strong currently now, as opposed to other currencies, means a lot. 
you know, to these countries and, and can, can, can potentially keep them dependent. So I do understand. I don't agree with his comments previously about making Obama's mother and things like that. That's, that's disgusting. That's lowbrow Bush league type of thing. But to, but to come at the United States and say that they have made other nations dependent upon them for, through their aid and through their military uh, positioning, I don't think that's an unfair claim. I think that's what you have to do to be a superpower, to be honest with you. It's like, if you want to be a superpower, you're going to kind of have to have different alliances made in different places. I mean, I know you recently started watching Game of Thrones, and obviously with Game of Thrones, people marry, so the houses are combined, so the militaries are combined, you know, such a thing. Obviously, in this world, you don't have... Uh, you know, a United States president doesn't marry somebody from the Philippines, but they, they do alliances through aid, through military alignments. And so, you know, that's how superpowers join forces. And maybe there are some countries that are dissatisfied with the end of, end of the bargain they're getting from the United States. It's not totally unbelievable. But uh, will other countries do it? It depends on how dependent they are. Maybe if, he, maybe if other countries feel like they can fill in the gap, as you mentioned, they may buck. But if they don't think they can, they may just have to take it and, and shut up. His uh his foreign secretary is on board with him as well, and he was quoted uh as saying his name is uh Perfecto Yase, and he he is quoted as saying this is at the core of the message to the American people and the world. The United States held on to invisible chains that reined us in towards dependency and submission as little brown brothers not capable of true independence and freedom freedom. So. They uh they are definitely on board with this and we'll see what happened. I thought it was I thought it was interesting because I do feel like a lot of countries may feel this way, but because we you know we give out so much aid that they just go along with it because they need that help. So this is pretty bold by Mr. Duarte and we'll see what uh what happens with that. Before we go, Ramsey Orta. This is uh, the young man who recorded the final words of Eric Garner. Um, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Uh, he was sent to jail last week. Um, he claims that uh, he and his wife claim that he began to get picked on by the New York Police Department after filming that, saying that in one of his arrests, uh, one of the cops came in recording him with a cell phone. And when he asked why you recorded me, he said, you recorded us. Now we recording you. Uh, but he was found guilty of selling a controlled substance, which I believe turned out to be a f fake drugs. Uh, he had a gun, which is a no, no in New York. And uh, he also was arrested one time for assaulting his uh, wife, who has been very supportive of him. If you follow her on, on social media, she has said that even with the assault and everything else that the media and the police department have been blowing it out of proportion. They've been picking on her husband and the police are saying, no, he was guilty of these things and we just were doing our jobs. It's an interesting situation to where, you know, I, I want to know where, where you fell on this. Could because it could be to where both stories are true. Only one of the stories are true. Or none of it can be true, and you know the truth is just lost somewhere in it. Where do you lean, and um, do you think uh, Mr. Orta could be truthful in saying that he was being picked on? Do you think the NYPD is that vindictive to go after the man that uh, filmed the death of Eric Garner? I think so. I think so. I think, and I don't want to get off tangent, but you know, look at what's going on in Ferguson with some of the Black Lives Matter activists. Um, some strange things have been happening to them over the past couple of years. 
And the reason why I say that is to think that the police aren't vindictive is to think that they're not unjust. They're just a gang uh, that they're bullies. And, you know, certainly with with the whole filming of the Eric Garner video, that put them in a bad light. Certainly that could have led, should have led to at least the officer's indictment and potential conviction. Obviously it didn't. And so, you know, I'm sure the fact that he's not a, a Boy Scout is is not playing in his favor and so they they found a little bit of dirt on him and they're using that to uh make his life hell and, and i and i don't think there's anybody who thinks that that is not a possibility and if you don't think it's possible you're you, you're missing the point and i think that's why we have to get on top of the police brutality uh right now see some people have turned it into black people not being satisfied with anything in the country but it's really what it means to all people is we're living in a police state where we are being bullied. Anybody can be bullied by the police if they, you know, do something wrong. They film them doing something wrong or they cross them. Then they're for they're forever being tracked or being, you know, monitored by the police. That is not how this country is supposed to work. The police are not supposed to be able to do that. So I think that is certainly, in my opinion, um, he doesn't have a, a he like I said, he's not a Boy Scout. His record isn't perfect, but. I guarantee that there probably has been some backlash from that incident. And hopefully, you know, that will be addressed. Hopefully that can be addressed because, you know, one thing I'll say is people can commit a crime and they deserve to, to you know, serve the time for that crime. But to to go out there and try to look and, and dig up stuff on people and profile people, that's not what the police are supposed to be doing. So we'll see. We'll see how this, this turns out. But certainly, um you know, the long amount of the law is getting longer and the the more this stuff goes on, the more we're all in danger of, you know, basically having to be in fear of the police being able to do whatever they want without any consequences. Ramseyorta.info uh, is where you can visit if you if you are one of those people that believe that he was unfairly targeted and would like to uh, do something about it. You can visit Ramseyorta.info and donate money. Uh, and follow the latest updates on what's going on with him. And one of the reasons that they're asking for money is he he believes that they're so out to get him that he's afraid to eat the food in prison. If he can't make it, if he doesn't have money to go to commissary uh, to get food out of the machines or whatever, then he will go on a hunger strike and he won't eat. Uh, so that's one of the ways you can donate to him. And he also has, like I say, a wife out there. So, again, Ramsey Orta, you can dot info. You can visit that website. Um, I just want to personally thank the listeners, as always, again, for tuning in to another episode. We really appreciate it. want to remind you guys that you can subscribe on different platforms, whether it's iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, or podcasts on Google Play. Uh, check us out, Politically Entertaining. We also ask that you tell five friends about the show and ask them to subscribe. Check us out. And if you felt any tension between Frank and I, uh, it's because Miami is playing Florida State tonight as we record this show. He's a Miami fan. I'm Florida State. And I, I'm before, a Miami alum. Let me just Okay, okay. Well, okay, fine. Whatever. Whatever, Frank. <laughs> Whatever, Frank. I, I just want to say go nose before you close the show out, brother. Go nose. <laughs> Again, I want to thank all the listeners. Uh, we couldn't do the show without you. We, we would not do the show without you, even more importantly. We're grateful for all all your support. Get out there. Get registered to vote. Deadlines are, are, are coming. Make sure you know where to vote. Make sure you know who you're voting for. And more importantly, vote. 
and uh, we're just excited. The process, uh, new president is coming, so everybody get out there, vote, make your voices heard. Um, just want to close the show with Go Hurricanes, and we'll see you guys soon on another episode <laughs> of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.